This is Jam D. Mateus, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Welcome, loony listeners. You are listening to Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. This is a retrospective bonus episode, if you will, and it is the beginning of a series of episodes that I will re-release of interviews with the famous Moon Knight alumni. So uh, for those loony listeners that may have missed these interviews in the years that have gone by... <laughs> um, I'll, I'll present them here for you uh, as a nice little recap. Um, had the great fortune of speaking to uh, many Moon Knight creators and writers and artists, so I wanted to to share it again for, as I said, for newer listeners. Uh, this one tonight um, is the first of three that was originally released in our hundredth episode, uh, and we'll kick off um, with this. I'll, I'll release this every every fortnight or so. Um, just to kind of tide things over into the festive break. But this first interview was uh, alongside uh, podcaster Anthony Sitko. Some of you will know him as an Amiga-level loony and co-host of Capes on the Couch, uh, a very cool podcast. I absolutely love it. Go check it out if you haven't. But we both had the opportunity to speak to J.M.D. Mateus, and uh, we spent some uh, some time chatting with James just to talk about not only that but just comics in general uh, and uh, it was a bit of a I guess a a recall for, for James Dumitas to, to to remember that run because it was a while ago and he's such a prolific writer there's so much has happened between then and now so anyway I'll present this to you the loony listener I hope you enjoy our interview with J.M. Dumitas Yes, welcome, loony listeners. This is Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast, episode 100. And uh, we did promise some surprises on the show. So uh, to kick off, we have a very special interview with a very special writer. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. But before I, I get too carried away, I'm actually also joined by Anthony Sitko, co-host of Capes on the Couch, where comics get counselling, um, a, a absolutely awesome podcast. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing good, Ray. I'm very, very excited to be part of this interview, <laughs> and uh, I cannot wait. Oh, this should be a cracker. Uh, as many of you know, Anthony is an Omega-level loony. He is a massive Moon Knight fan, so I could not ignore uh, having him on for this interview. And we do have a very special guest I'd like you to introduce JMD Mateus. JM, how are you? I'm great, guys. How are you both doing? Yeah, good, good. Uh, Fantastic. It, yeah, it's been a, it's been quite a buzz to um to get to organize this chat with you. Uh, so just briefly, I wanted to to let the loonies out there. I mean, look, your name is, is synonymous with a lot of comics. A, a legend in the field. Uh, um, JMD, 
Dimitris, you you've started off as a um, like as a mu- music critic, I believe. Um, you went to comic right. writing. Yep. Actually, I was a musician first, then a music, music. journalist. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, I I did I did read up on that as well. You've released a few things as well. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, anyway, comic book writing, various publishers, of course, the big two, DC, Marvel, as well as as, as a few other publishers as well. Uh, Garnering, and many years writing animation as well. And animation, yes, yes. Uh, yes. And uh, and many awards um, to a lot of, I mean, you you are, if anything, industrious. Uh, a lot of uh, original <laughs> graphic novels, uh, the likes of Brooklyn Dreams and, of course, Moon Shadow. Uh, Shadow, which I have to plug, brand new hardcover edition of Moon Shadow comes out Wednesday. Oh, fantastic. Hardcover, that's... lots of extras in the back. I mean, it's, it's the most beautiful edition of Moon Shadow that's ever been done. Yeah, I've seen the um, photo on your Twitter account, the, the definitive edition, right? And it's yes, got that's a, what it's called. That's excellent. It's called. And, a, and a new forward by yourself or introduction? Yes, and mm-hmm. then, you know, all kinds of cool stuff in the back. I, I, I don't save files on a lot of things, but I saved all my Moonshadow stuff all these years. So I have, like, handwritten notes from when I first had wow. the idea. You know, I mean, things really going back and all of J- John J. Muth's sketches and wonderful things. So it's oh. packed with extras and it's on beautiful paper, beautiful hardcover. They did a fantastic job. Oh, well, that sounds fantastic. We're going to have to, we'll grab the details up. They'll be in our show notes. Just check it out, loonies. Uh, definitely well worth a purchase. But, uh, of course, as well, uh, James, you, uh, you conduct a writer's workshop called Imagination 101. You're a founder of, uh, of Creation Point, all to do with, uh, with assisting uh, with creative writers. Is that correct? Right, right. Uh, Imagination 101 is a writing workshop that I, I do periodically. I have one coming up in November, and I've had, had people come from all over the United States and actually from other countries as well. It's an entire weekend, very intimate weekend. I keep the classes small, mm-hmm. maybe 10 people at most. And we have a great weekend talking about both the the mechanics and the day-to-day realities of writing, okay. as well as the whole sort of metaphysical aspect of, of story and where it all comes from. It's a great weekend. And if anyone, whether you're in New Jersey or Australia, if you <laughs> want to come, there's still a few spots open in the class. So I, I welcome you. And it happens in this, in this coming November. Right. And the other one, this story consultation is basically uh, done long distance. Anyone that has a piece of work that they want to work on, mm-hmm. just you can go to my work, uh, my uh, website, and contact me, yeah. and uh, we can get to work. Would that include um, like prose uh, scripts as well, or any different really formats? anything? Pretty uh-huh. much anything you want to work on within within reason. If it's something that's like out of my purview, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know work on it with you because I won't be able to help you. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, yeah, because I, I, you know whether it's a screenplay or a comic book script or a piece of prose, absolutely. Mm, fantastic, fantastic. Well. Uh, yeah, again, we'll add these to our show notes as well. So all information will be there. I know a lot of loonies, um, well, a fair few of them do love their, their fan fiction, uh, and do write as well. So maybe this is something they can pursue. Um, it's, it's a good way to kind of, um, broaden your horizons with, with something that you love to do. Um, so, so before before we get started, I want to get all the plugs out of the way. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> just from from IDW, just put out a collection of a series I did for them called Impossible Incorporated, which I'm mm-hmm. very excited about. Uh, I just finished a series at Dark Horse uh, for Burger Books called The Girl in the Bay, and the collected edition of that will be oh. out in August. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? So the Constantine animated movie, John Constantine animated movie, is available for streaming on Amazon oh. and Google Play and 
and you can buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. So that's out there. And I have a lot more animation coming up that I can't talk about yet. But so <gasps> those are the all right. Plugs are out of the way. Let's talk. <laughs> oh no, that, that's great. Um, yeah. Now, had you have you watched the? I hadn't watched it myself. There's a constant. There was a Constantine TV show, a live a live one. There was you? a live action Constantine TV yeah. show with Matt Ryan. Yeah, I heard it. Which was pretty good. And then, then, yeah. then, and that's Matt Ryan is the voice of Constantine in the animated movie that I wrote. Ah, lovely. So it, yeah, it's, it's it's maybe it's one of the best uh, animated projects I've ever been involved in, and it's probably out of all the portrayals of Constantine outside of comics, I think it's the truest to the Vertigo vision of the character. Okay, uh, very proud of. And now, of course, Matt Ryan is on Legends of Tomorrow, still continuing yeah. uh, his oh, yeah. Constantine. Repri- reprising his role. Look, uh, truth be told, I'm not a, a DC fan. That's just out of, you know, circumstance. Um, I <laughs> you always, are forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I always I always kind of liken it to, because uh, I do love my music, like classical music and jazz, you know, and I do study classical music. And it's, it's a world unto itself and... Uh, <laughs> It's similar with like Marvel and DC, I find. Um, so it, it just happens, you know. But um, I do love the character of Constantine. I um, there was that early movie with Keanu Reeves. I thought it was really cool. Right. Uh, I've heard, right. obviously, not as accurate or not accurate at all to the Vertigo <laughs> portrayal, but you know, still an enjoyable thing. So, <laughs> so I'll be yeah, we, did, we did an episode right. on Constantine. Oh yes, Anthony, you did. Yeah, we, we did. We covered uh, we covered Constantine in an entire episode. It's actually, in the comics, it's pronounced Constantine, but everybody seems to have, uh, at least in, in the, the Keanu Reeves version, they definitely Americanized it. And I yes. guess for the sake of the, the American audiences, uh, Matt Ryan pronounces it Constant, Constantine, but uh, right. he makes a point. I even, I even wrote the co- character in the comics. I never knew it was pronounced Constantine. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I learned. I learned something. Good. We're done. I can go now. <laughs> <laughs> we love to share. Um, yeah. Well, actually, before we get into Moon Knight, of course, um, JM, we we actually had another loony who wanted to come on. I want to give him a shout out, Josh. Uh, he just, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. He's another huge fan of yours, and uh, he had a question that he wanted to put. Well, he wanted me to put forth to you, and. Uh, you know, let it be known, Looney's that uh, not obviously not only that short run that you did with Moon Knight, but um, you, you had you know extensive runs with uh, the Defenders, Captain America. You did, you did that very memorable in Shambhala, Doctor Strange. That's right, um, and I had a perfect. run on the on the monthly Doctor Strange book as well. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh okay. Uh, and uh, and of course, Spider Man. Uh, you know, synonymous with arguably the, the greatest Spider Man uh, storyline. Uh, ever written, which is uh, Craven's Last Hunt, which um, yeah, I'm sure you've read as well, Anthony. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I mean, yeah, amazing story. I'm yeah. hoping one day that we can see a, a live action Craven in mm. perhaps the MCU, or that was never covered in Raimi's. Um, you can't start off with Craven's Last Hunt, obviously, but you have to build to it. But I would very much be be intrigued at that, just because the the storyline of uh, of of Craven, and also I I love stories in which the villain kind of wins or at least gets that upper hand. Mm. So. I think the problem with the problem with the live action Craven and maybe the, is is that your lead character, the guy that you're paying twenty million dollars to be Spider Man, is is buried alive for a third of the story. <laughs> so I always thought it would be great a great like I've written a bunch of these DC animated movies, um, and I thought Craven's Last Hunt done as an animated an animated movie I think would be great. Oh uh, yeah, perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah, and for sure. I'm that would ready work. to write it whenever Marvel's ready. <laughs> yeah, well, I would, I would, we, we'll read it as soon as you write it. Are you, you listening, Marvel? Are yeah. you listening? <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah, him on it. <laughs> I am writing for the for the new Marvel has a new uh, Spider-Man animated show, and I've written three episodes of that. And I can't oh. get into details, but one of them does feature Moon Knight. Oh, oh my Ooh. God! I'll yes. just drop that there for you. Oh, well, that's a that's a scoop. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, lovely. Oh, okay. Oh, that's wait. all I can say about it, though, unfortunately. Oh, okay. okay. That's that's fair. That's fine. That's yeah, we, we respect I appreciate that. It. But uh, that's got a, that's pricked our ears. So that's um that's very cool indeed. <laughs> um, so obviously Craven's Last Hunt, but um, also there were a couple of seminal issues that you wrote in Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. And anyway, I'm going to read this out to you, JM. It's a question from Josh, uh, and okay. he. He basically says, he said, you know, you've written two massive milestones uh, in the early 90s, Amazing Spider-Man 400 and Spectacular Spider-Man 200. Uh, And Josh says one of of them, I believe it was the Amazing Spider-Man 400, or maybe the other one, was his all-time favourite comic. Um, Anyway, they deal with the death of Aunt May and Harry Osborn, respectively. Now, his question was, or is, what uh, was it like to have the task of, t- of killing off two monumental and long-standing Spider-Man supporting characters? I mean, that, that's a, quite a, a big brushstroke there, James. So how did you feel about that? Was that nerve-wracking to pitch that or...? No, not nerve wracking at all. You know, when when the, the the Aunt May death was was not just my decision, but it came from a few of us because the Spider Man books were going through a sort of a revolution then mm-hmm. with the with the Clone Saga, and what we wanted people to know that the stakes were high, and that we were going to do things that were going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Little knowing that Aunt May would be back, like I don't know, fifteen minutes later. But you know, at the <laughs> time, we really the idea was we're killing Aunt May, and that's that. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and so, so, um, but once you get into the story, you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm killing Aunt May, or oh my gosh, I'm killing Harry. Mm-hmm. You're just getting into the story and, and and immersing yourself in the characters and following the characters where they will lead you. Um, you know, there's that moment in, in Amazing Spider-Man 400 where May uh, admits that she's known for years that Peter is Spider-Man. Mm, yes. And... Uh, and that came not from like, oh, what a great idea. Aunt May knows. It was like it was almost like Aunt May told me, if you know what I mean. Mm. When the story is really working, the characters are revealing themselves to you as you're writing the story. And and certainly Aunt May did did that in, in that story. Um, and with Harry, that was the culmination of a two year storyline. Mm. Uh, and I didn't know when that storyline, same thing. I didn't know when that storyline started. It's not like I mapped it out and said, in two years, we're going to kill Harry off and it's <sighs> going to happen this way. Yeah. It just sort of evolved and came to this bubbling climax. And again, the uh, the characters led me uh, to that point. So I'm not like thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm killing an iconic character or anything like that. I'm just so deep in the story yes. that I'm following the story and the characters where they lead me. And uh, those those are two of my favorite stories that I've ever worked on on Spider-Man. In fact, the well, both of them. But the, yeah. the Harry story at Spectacular 200, if I had to pick just a single issue of Spider-Man that I wrote, you know, not an arc, but a single issue, yes, that would be the one that's my favorite. All right. That's great because we, yeah, we did cover that. Um, what we do have on, on the show is a 
what we like to call the Olara sessions, and uh, they're kind of like Desert Island books, and we had Josh on, uh, and obviously one of them was Spectacular Spider-Man 200, and we went through it like panel by panel. It was, oh, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was a really good, really good read, and it was a double-sized double, double size issue, so a, a substantial read, yeah. which was good. Yeah, and so much of the credit for that, I have to say, goes to Sal Buscema, who did such an extraordinary mm. job. Oh, with yeah. the artwork. I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again, and I'll keep it short so we can get to Moon Knight. Uh, the end of the story, there's like three or four pages at the end when Harry dies, and it's very moving and very emotional. And in my plots, uh, you know, this is written plot first, so I write a detailed plot. Sal draws it, and then I dialogue from the artwork. And um, I, you know, I thought when the artwork comes back, I'm going to have to really really sell this. I'm going to have to really schmaltz it up in the captions and, you know, and really kind of reach out and grab your heart and twist it and turn it. Yeah. And I got the artwork back and everything I'd asked for in the plot was there in the art. And if you look at the story, the last three pages, there's not a single word there because despite the fact that I thought I would have to write so mm. much, I looked at Sal's art and it communicated everything I asked for so perfectly that I just shut up and let the art tell the story. And that speaks so much to what a what a huge talent and often underrated talent Sal Buscema is. Just one of the best yeah. artists to ever at Marvel. That, Absolutely. That, yeah, that would have been one of the uh, the highest kind of accolades, I guess, you can give the, the artist as a writer. Like, you know, okay, I'm not going to touch it at all. I mean, you've, you've pretty much exactly. done it. So exactly. oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's the beauty of working in a visual medium like that is is you can allow the the pictures, you know, they say a picture mm. says, you know, is worth a thousand words. And in this case, it very literally is true that you felt the need that dialogue was superfluous. And mm. sometimes it's the opposite. You know, sometimes you, you, you turn in your plot uh, and, and it's all very detailed and you think it's all very clear and the artwork comes back and it's like, I don't know what the hell's going on on this page. And you have to actually overwrite to explain what's happening in the pictures. Yeah. You know, and that's the difference between someone who, who really doesn't understand the art of visual storytelling and someone like Sal, who is such a master of it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah. yeah. It amazes me, uh, like layouts and stuff. I, I um, there's this thing on YouTube, it's uh, Strip Panel Naked. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, JM, it, uh, it goes through particular issues, and one of them was Moon Knights. It was a Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby issue, uh, issue five, which is a um, fantastic issue. Anyway, it goes, uh, it's narrated by someone, it goes through panel by panel, and it shows the the level of thought that these artists do put into it, uh, not only to convey the story, but to kind of lead the eye, stuff like that. It's It's, it's really amazing stuff. Yeah. It really, really is. And it's so, you know, when you understand it, when you see the importance of, say, uh, uh, capturing just the right moment, and each panel has to capture the right moment, and it yes. has to flow into the next panel. And if you capture the wrong moment, the whole thing is off. If yes. the gesture is wrong, and the really great artists, if you really watch them, you'll see, like, one gesture will lead your eye to the next panel. It has mm. to flow. Absolutely. And e yet each, each, each little piece, each panel has to be really, really clear. Yes. And, and when you're working with guys like, I you know, we talked about Craven's Last Hunt, someone like Mike Zek, mm -hmm. where visually, you know, anything I asked for in the plot visually was right there and it was clear as a bell. I never had to explain the art. I never had, you know, the, the emotion was on the character's yeah. face and I didn't have to explain that, which, which is why when you read Craven's Last Hunt, it's all interior monologue. Yes. You know, everything is what's going on inside the characters' heads. I didn't have to stop and explain, I am now leaping to yeah. this roof, you know, or any <laughs> stuff like that, which sometimes you actually have to do that. You'll mm -hmm. see things like that 
because it's not clear in the pictures. So when you're working with a uh, with a Zach or a, or a Buscema, yes. uh, if someone else had drawn Craven's Last Hunt and I had to be explaining the artwork as I went along, none of that interior monologue stuff would have been there or it wouldn't have worked the same way. Mm. So it so much depends upon that that sort of chemical fusion between the writer and the artist. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'd like to actually put it to you then as well, Joan. Like, nowadays, like, who would you, if you had a, cho- a choice, who you could pick as, a, as an artist to do, I don't know, your, your latest and greatest story, uh, who would you choose? You know, I've been very lucky. I've worked with so many, so many great artists, people that, um, you know, really just amazing top-of-the-line artists. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm always surprised by the talent of new artists. I just, like I said, I just finished this series for Burger Books. Yes. And uh, there's a, the, a young woman named Corinne, Corinne Howell. And I'd never heard of her before. Karen mm-hmm. Berger found her and, and, and put her on this book. She's in her early 20s. She's phenomenal. She's wow. so gifted, you know? Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to discover, you know, I still want to work with all the guys that I know and have worked with before, mm-hmm. but to discover somebody new, uh, it's just a fantastic thing. And then, and I'm thinking, well, she's probably 23 at most. Yeah. What is she? What, what kind of work is she going to be doing in 10 years? Because yeah. um, she's so good now. Yeah. And uh, so so it's not a question of, uh, I guess, of uh, of. Well, I guess there's still plenty of guys out there. Yeah. If I was going to pick one dream dream artist to work with, and he doesn't work in comics anymore, I don't know what he's doing these days. Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, I've always yeah. liked nice stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. So you know, so it, just off the charts, brilliant. Very um, good. But you yeah. know, it's, it's, that's just a that's just a fantasy because it doesn't even work in comics anymore. Um, but God, to do one story with Barry Smith, that would yeah. be really something. Yeah, I am. Um... Okay, I've worked with so many amazing artists, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, that I can't even begin to list them. Yeah. Even just talking about the projects that I've mentioned, you look at Moonshadow, John J. Muth. Oh, my God, look at that painted artwork. There had never been anything like that in comics. Mm. This is possible incorporated with my buddy Mike Cavallaro. He's amazing and works in so many different styles and pencils and inks and letters and colors. He does it all, you know. There's yeah. so, the, the talent that's out there, it's really extraordinary. It's mm-hmm. really amazing. And I, to this day, it's the same as when I was reading a comic book when I was 10 years old and you turn the page and gape at the artwork. I'm still in awe of, of the artists. And when new art comes through and, you know, uh, I open my email and there's new pages there, yeah. I'm a 10-year-old kid and I'm in, I am in awe of these guys oh, that's and what a, they do. That, you know, that's just a good feeling, isn't it, you know, to have that kind of um, – It's great. That, yeah, that, that feeling you had when you were when you're small, uh, when you were little. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, look, we're uh, we're going to delve into to Moon Knight now. Now, your your run was short, as as we discussed earlier short. on. Uh, it was twenty six to thirty one, and it, it mainly encapsulated uh, the Scarlet Redemption, which uh, right. a, a lot of loonies absolutely love. And you know, this is one of the reasons we have the fantastic Anthony here with us. Oh, Anthony, I'm I'm going to throw it to you to um to kick us off here to ask something to JM about his writing. Uh, well, at, yeah, this this run above, and I have literally every solo comic that Moon Knight has done. Every single one of his solo issues, pretty much ninety percent of the appearances that he's made. And and I referenced this when I when I met you last year at Comic Con. This is my all time favorite wow. Moon Knight story arc. Of of all of them throughout the forty years of the character, uh, your writing and Ron Garney's artwork, uh, and 
everything just melded together so beautifully that and Ron really... Garney was brand new then. He was just starting out. You know, he wasn't Ron Garney yet. And you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, he came out of the gate really strong. Yeah, because I, I remember he started. Sorry, Anthony, just to cut, just quickly. Uh, I remember seeing Ron Gar- when I got that issue as well back in the 90s. And it just surprised me. Like, um, I was following the Charles Saul Daredevil run. And it's like, oh, that's Ron Garney. He's still going. So, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's better than ever, yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah, fantastic. Sorry, Anthony. Um, no, 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 that's that's fine. So, um, but I, I want to segue into that. There is a, a beautiful mirror set up to so many of the issues, particularly in part three, where uh, between Marlene and Scarlett and their love for Mark, and you just, you open up the pages and the one side is Marlene, and you see images of the Khonshu statue. And then on the other page, it's Scarlet. And you see images of a crucifix and everything. And mm-hmm. there's this this mirror to them. Um, was that your idea that was written into the script? Yeah, or was that was that all on the plot. The- that, that was okay. all on the plot. Those kind of visual touchstones are, were, were all on the plot. But again, as we were saying before, give that to the wrong artist and mm. it ain't going to work. You know what I mean? Ron made sure that it all worked and worked really well. Yeah, but yeah, those yeah th- those kind of parallels and visual touchstones and and contrasts were all there in the plot. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, and um, like with this with this um, you know, uh, this arc of the the Scarlet Redemption as well. Um, I guess another question, and this is off the back of another one from Josh. Uh, he asked about um, had was there any intent to stay there any longer, like, or or was there? Uh, was it just you know, a I, 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 I'm sure the I sure the intent was to, was to stick around and I d- honestly don't remember why I left the book there was no problem you know I was working with I believe Danny Fingeroth one of my uh, favorite editors and dearest friends in the business mm-hmm. and um, it might be that I was just I just got really really busy with other stuff mm-hmm. and had to make a choice and and let that one go yeah. but uh, but I got to tell a, a, a good solid story at least before I left. You certainly did. I mean, you certainly picked um, some very interesting characters in the Moon Knight canon as well. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, Anthony, Stained Glass Scarlet and the comparisons that you see there with, with Marlene and, and, you know, the, the symbolisms. Um, was there a particular reason uh, why you picked Stained Glass? Was it, was it because... Well, what I remember is just, you know, because I was not wildly familiar with Moon Knight when they asked me to take over the book. So I'm sure that they gave me a stack of issues and I went back and reread stuff mm-hmm. and just something about that character reached out to me. Yeah. You know, it's some intuitive thing where I went, this one, there's something about this woman that I find fascinating. Yeah. And so, and my, and my, my thought is always, uh, let's peel off the top of the character's head and then <laughs> dig deep into their psyche and find what's going on in there. Why do these characters do what they do? What is there in their past that drove them to become what they are now? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, as I recall, and again, it's been a long time, mm-hmm. that's what I did with that character. Yeah. I mean, I like to think as well that um, her as a character lends itself. I mean, her relationship with Moon Knight uh, was kind of set up by Doug Mensch, uh, and it was always I, a slightly... I don't know, how would you describe it, Anthony? It was a very, um, I don't want to say vague, but they, they seemed to have a connection, but it was never really explained. And and that ambiguity, um, I think, runs through the Scarlet Redemption story, um, you know, that you handle as well. And, and you have this thing of, you know, are they 
are they interested in each other are they not uh you know one of the things that um josh he mentioned as well one of his favorite scenes is when moon knight and scarlet are on top of the bridge and they share yeah. a kiss and then she stabs him and then she you know pushes him off it's it, it's this is but this is really consistent with her character because she was very similar to that in in the Doug Mensch run, um, but I think also if we can go back to um, Craven's Last Hunt as well, and the, and the way that was written, uh, there seems to be a very uh, introspective way that you your style of writing, which I, I found very um, relevant, I guess to to the character of Scarlet. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I was just wondering if if, um, if that kind of played into why you picked her yeah it just she seemed ripe for an interior exploration you know Mm. and uh and 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 again just just as it was with craven you know there's a there's sort of a visual story going on but Mm -hmm. as i recall that story was very interior and very much about what was going on inside the characters as the outer action was happening you know it's funny you mentioned that kiss on top of the bridge and until you described it i didn't realize it you guys watch game of thrones yes oh anthony yep yep that climactic scene, if I don't want to get into it if anyone hasn't seen it, where where there's a kiss and then you pull back and he's ah, stabbed there. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the same scene. That, that is, <laughs> isn't funny. it? <laughs> and I didn't realize that until you mentioned it. You know, that's very funny. Yeah. That's very funny. No, it was um, a very, very, good, very good scene uh, indeed. I think well. that's the that's the one you know it's funny because you know it's been a long time since I wrote that story but that's the scene that's like branded in my brain that I really really clearly remember and mm-hmm. him under the water and and I remember we yes. played a lot with with negative space and stuff in the sequence of him Mark uh, coming back up from under the water and there'd be blank mm-hmm. panels and then panels with just words and yeah, yeah. well I mean there was uh, um, we can talk about well Anthony about literary references uh, I know you've mentioned. Yeah, uh, I there are so many literary references throughout the arc, uh, particularly William Blake, uh, both in the narration and then inside their thoughts. Uh, how did you find those references and how did you decide which ones were pertinent enough to make it into the script? That's a great question. And I will probably have to make up an answer because I don't remember. So. <laughs> remember referencing William Blake. Well, I love Blake. I mean, so, you know, Blake shows up in, in, in Craven's Last Hunt. And, uh, and I think, you know, his stuff is, is incredibly poetic, very, very mystical. It has layers and levels of meaning to it. And, um, and, and I think probably in the writing, it just applied very naturally. Uh, you know, I don't seek out these things it's like, hmm, let me look for a literary reference. You know, I, I go to the things that I know and that I love and that, that fit. And Blake is someone that I've loved since high school. It's so funny because just this morning I was on Amazon looking at collections of Blake thinking, oh, I need a new collection of Blake. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I have the same one uh, sitting on my shelf that I got when I was like 17. Um, so it was just a natural, uh, a, a natural thing for me to to in, infuse that quality in there because that's just it's just some, a poet that I love mm-hmm. whose work resonates in such a way that it could be applied uh, across, you know, to these stories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and every reference that was in there was so on the nose, and it worked. And I guess just my, you know, I suppose as a writer, you 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 not only write, but you read everything you can get your hands on. And so you would have this well of knowledge and references that you've things that you've seen before, and you say, okay, this would fit here, and this would mm. fit there. So I guess that um, 
that it sort of makes sense to, to hear you describe it. I was just, like I said, uh, curious where. It's interesting uh, because you know. I realized as you're saying this, that, you know, Blake shows up in Craven. Blake shows up here. Blake shows mm. up uh, in the very first issue of Moonshadow as well. well so, okay. yeah. so I wonder if I have to think now, I wonder if it's, if it's a theme that runs through a lot more stories that I'm not even aware of. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That you just you, you you don't know that how much of an influence he has had on you, uh, which is an interesting yeah. question as well. I'll um, just further to what Anthony was talking about um, the references, uh, past and present writers. Who, who would you say uh, you know some of your favourites and um, who apart from Blake, I guess, are, are influential in your work? L- love and adore Ray Bradbury. You know, mm. right up there, if I had my pantheon of literary gods and I had little statues on a prayer table or something, Bradbury would be right there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I love Charles Dickens. I've been uh, rereading uh, Dickens recently and reading some Dickens that I had never read before. And uh, as time goes by, I love his work even more. And another mm. writer, you know, a lot of these are writers that that um, I discovered when I was a teenager or, or a young adult. And... It says something about the quality of the work when it can sustain you and stay with you through your whole life. Because certain writers you love when you're young, you revisit them and it's like, oh, that was fun, but uh, I don't need to ever read that again, you know? Mm. Um, but but Bradbury and Dickens and uh, I've been rereading Kurt Vonnegut. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I've been rereading a bunch of Vonnegut lately. Um, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with. Who's uh, – what works? Uh, Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. Slaughterhouse Five, Cat's Cradle, Sirens of Titan. Okay. Oh my gosh, you should read. <laughs> God bless you, Mister Rosewater. One of my favorite books of all time. If I would recommend two books of Vonnegut, I'd recommend God bless you, Mister Rosewater, and Slaughterhouse Five. Wow, okay. which was made into made into a very odd movie back in the seventies. Yeah. Oh, oh Vonnegut wow. is an incredible writer. Oh my right. gosh. Uh, um, American? You know, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, very, very timeless. Uh, we read uh, quite a bit of Vonnegut in high school. Uh, it's unfortunate that I, I don't recall much of what it is that I read, but uh, I do recall he made a, a cameo appearance in Back to School, uh, the he movie, did. the Rodney Dangerfield film. Right. About, That's right. It, it was a very metatextual reference where he was hired to discuss and analyze Kurt Vonnegut books and uh, Rodney Dangerfield's character disagreed with Vonnegut's interpretation of his own writing, uh, which <laughs> was the joke. Hmm. So, Right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would highly recommend Vonnegut. The, uh, and gosh, so many, so many other wonderful writers, you know, that I've read over the years. Um, yeah. but, but, oh, J.D. Salinger. Love oh, J.D. Okay. Salinger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, Nine Stories. Franny and Zoe is one of my favorite, favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. And Philip K. Dick, the science fiction writer. Oh, yes. Although I, hate mm-hmm. to, I hate to type him as a science fiction writer because his work just, you know, explodes the genre so much. Yes. Uh, fantastic. There would be no movie like The Matrix and all that followed without Philip K. Dick's work mm, uh, back absolutely. in the 50s and the 60s. Um, uh, uh, so many more. So many more. Yeah. And comic book writers? Um Stanley and Jack Kirby, obviously, and I include Kirby as a writer, not just as an artist. Uh-huh. Um, Steve Gerber, uh, when I was a teenager reading comics, Steve Gerber's work meant so much to me. And he's another one who kind of took the genre and exploded it uh, in, in direct so many, so many incredible directions. Um, Len Wein, who was my first real mentor in the business when I started writing comics, mm-hmm. uh, had a huge influence on me. Even more as a as an editor uh, as my editor than as a writer, and he was an amazing writer. I mean, Swamp Thing with Ween and Wrightson still remains some of my favorite yes. comics of all time. Yep. Um, 
and again, you know, so many, so many more. I, I could, you know, if we, we could spend an hour just talking about, oh yeah, there was that, and what about mm, you know Jim yeah. Starlin's Warlock, and what about Tomb of Dracula, and what about you know all that stuff. But yes. but those are the ones that come to mind immediately. Yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, they're all they're all fantastic. They're all good. Um, Your assignment though is to go read some Kurt Vonnegut now. You have. I, to. I am. I'm interested now. I demand like, it of you. You piqued my interest, so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt him down. I'm gonna just. Yeah. Try to get uh, old school, get a get a real book as well. So uh, a real book, right? That's right. <laughs> um, look, uh, just one other one other thing I wanted to ask as well, Jam, about the writing again. Um, Bring it into context with Mark Spector, Moon Knight. Um, so Chuck Dixon wrote, uh, you know, there are about the first twenty four issues. I think there was one written by Howard Mackey, um, starring um, Ghost Rider as well. Uh, but Chuck Dixon. I know Howard followed me on the book, I believe, as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a great writer as well. I really like his stuff, um, particularly with with Ghost Rider. Um, but anyway, so Chuck Dixon uh, handled the first twenty four issues or so, and uh, and he's been on record as well as saying that there was an editorial choice to portray Moon Knight a particular way. Uh, hence, I guess the title, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, um, just concentrate on that one identity, uh, maybe concentrate more on his uh, mercenary um, past and, uh, and I guess his crime fighting as a caped, caped crusader. Now, um, after his 24 issues, we get the Scarlet Redemption, which kind of turned things on its head. Uh, and um, I just was wondering... Um, like how how did that how was that taken like with the with the editors uh when you pitched the scarlet redemption um was it was it something they were looking for like a, a no a no short, no, no. They, they, i was just asked if i wanted to write the book and and yeah. uh, i agreed and then like as i said immersed myself and read a bunch of back issues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then you know danny fingeroff uh is someone that we have a great relationship and he really trusted me Mm-hmm. And I trusted him, and he just let me write the story that I wanted to write. There was no editorial direction at all. Okay. Said you must do this or go this way or go that way at all. Mm-hmm. I just told the story that I wanted to tell, and I had a lot of freedom on that story. A yeah. lot of freedom. Yeah, because yeah, certainly because we we actually do see a lot of the relationship of Mark and Conchu, like in that in that arc, which you don't you you don't actually see that much in uh, the Dixon kind of run through. It's pretty much Well, just... I'm always attracted to the mystical side of things and the mm. spiritual side of things. And when you have a character like that, I think you have to explore that. It's yes. there in the character, you know? Oh, absolutely. And and you mentioned it um, just a little bit earlier as well. One of the uh, the strongest scenes I, I thought were, were the underwater ones as well. Um, just, yes. Just that kind of, I don't know, the vibe of him in there. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, really, really, really memorable, and and him dealing with his dad and and some other apparitions that that come that way. I was I was going to add that um, your that this run delved into a lot of that uh, spiritual connection with Conchu that really wasn't um, utilized that much in this Moon Knight era. We see nowadays, uh, particularly following the Charlie Houston bottom run, that Conchu takes a much more active role. Uh, in Mark's life and Moon Knight's crime fighting, so to speak, as as a more active participant. But in that era, Khonshu wasn't nearly as involved as the sort of looming specter, no pun intended. But yeah. your run really, I guess, pre 
um, was sort of like a precursor to a lot of the stuff that we see nowadays where yes. Khonshu is Absolutely. is a, a member, a supporting member of the cast. So that's, I guess, uh, very uh, prescient of you to to be able to say, OK, I want to include Khonshu as as this force, this character in the story um, years before it became commonplace. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, as I said, you know, I'm just I'm very, very interested in in not just the psychological but the spiritual dimensions of our life. Mm-hmm. And when you have a character like that who is directly connected to a god, yes, I'm going to want to explore that. Yeah. it's just it's just it's just in it's just in my nature. You know, someone else it might be like oh, I don't want to go there. That's you know that's not mm-hmm. interesting to me. I want to make him be more like Batman or whatever. You know. Yes. Um, but but that that aspect of the character uh, fascinated me. Yeah, I, I, I'm so so glad that they gave you that freedom to to do it because uh, it, it it ends up being one of the most memorable runs in Mark Spector, uh, Moon Knight. So really, you know, what's what's astonishing to me, I have to say, which I, why I'm really enjoying this conversation, it was a short run, and I really never heard much of anything about it over the years. You know, that's why oh, even right. last year when you came up to me at New York Comic Con, I was like, really. Really? That's so cool because because I, I, I don't really hear about it. And to and to hear um, that you not just enjoyed those stories, but that you really consider them something special is very gratifying for me all these years later to hear that. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah said, that's that's why I, it was yeah. such a big thing for me to meet mm-hmm. you at Comic-Con, because, like I said, I had gotten Ron Garney's uh, autograph on the books. I got Bill Sienkiewicz because he did all the covers. I even was able to track down Danny Fingeroth, who was at Comic-Con last year. And oh, then that's I said, great. I said, JMD Mateus is here. I have to. I will do whatever. We we set my wife and her friend, uh, neither of whom give two hoots about Moon Knight, sat mm-hmm. through the entire panel with me as I sat there just enraptured because I said, I'm going to be JMD Mateus. Like, <laughs> so you didn't really, you didn't really care what we were talking about on the panel. You were just waiting to get those books signed. Oh, huh? no, I was, I was absolutely interested in everything that you were talking about. And I left there very intrigued by, I think it was the Burger Books panel. Um, yeah, that's what it was. Yep, yep, and I, I left there uh, very interested in some of the, the books, but it was just more that I'm in the same room as JMD Mateus, and oh my god, I'm going to have him write these books. <laughs> like, yeah, it was great. just it was such a, a geek out moment for me personally. So thank you and for I, that. What I'm saying is, I, and I really appreciate uh, the love that you feel for this story. It, it means something yeah. to me. So thank you as well. Oh, look, it's it's one of those things that is continuing to to bring pleasure to a lot of fans, people that are just finding out about Moon Knight as well. Uh, which is which is a great thing um, to actually read these stories that were written before and and yeah and they still hold relevance to a lot of people so you know thank you as well for for writing such such great stuff. Um, well, I mean now as we're talking about it, it'd be great if Marvel would collect that story, wouldn't it be? It would. It'd well, be I, I'm eyeing the epic collections. I'm hoping that they'll collect Mark Spector Moon Knight. That hasn't been reprinted anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that will be part of it. I mean, it has to be part of it. It's it's in there, right smack bang in the middle. But um, well, you know, here's the good news. You know, Marvel is like exploiting every character they can. It's only a matter of time before there's a Moon Knight movie or TV show. And once yeah, that exactly. happens, they'll reprint everything. Yeah, yeah. We just got to wait. Play the waiting game. Yeah. <laughs> um, JM, look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you as well. I mean, um, thank you so much, uh, Anthony. It's been really good. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, Look, it's always great to chat with you. Um, we should get absolutely you on the same, show. my friend. Yeah, uh, more. I'm, I'm sorry. Like uh, the little fella's crying up a storm, so I might, I might have to, um, <laughs> might have to take leave. But uh, before we go, JM, uh, where can people find you, or where can people contact you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter mm-hmm. um, and on Facebook. 
and at my website, jmdmateus.com. So between those three things, you can track me down. And I, and, and I have to say that I really enjoy uh, the contacts with uh, the people that read and enjoy my work on Twitter and on Facebook. It, uh, I know a lot of people have very negative experiences on social media. Mm-hmm. I have basically had nothing but positive experiences oh, with the fans. And it's a really... It's a really nice opportunity to connect with to connect with people. So feel mm-hmm. free to pop up on Twitter and say hello, or come on over to Facebook or my website, and I will try to I try to answer everybody that contacts me. Yeah, that, that's really accommodating as well. Because as a fan, to to you know social social media, it's it's a it's a revelation, is it, to be able to actually contact um, you know someone that you look up to, someone that you follow, uh, and to actually interact with them is is amazing. So uh, and it's just as important for us as creators to have mm, that interaction because mm. you know? I always say we spend most of our time alone in a room playing with our imaginary friends, yeah. and it's nice to have a connection with those people that are reading and enjoying our work. And maybe you know once in a thousand times some weird person pops up, but yeah, yeah it doesn't matter because ninety nine and nine tenths percent of the time really really nice people and it's nice to have that connection and contact oh that's fantastic no excellent um yeah well on that note um thank you once again all of everything that we discussed will be in the show notes just check it out loonies uh as mentioned uh please check out james uh, moon shadow the definitive edition that is uh sorry that has come that's coming out early june that'll or, be out on wednesday add on wednesday okay. so i'll repeat all the plugs the moon shadow comes out on wednesday mm-hmm. impossible incorporated is out now in a trade paperback girl in the bay trade paperback will be out in august and my workshop will be in november has covered it all <laughs> great thank you very much and uh all right thanks guys i really enjoyed this thank you Cheers. thank you very much jam appreciate it thank you take care Bye. 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 Loony listeners, you can contact Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, on email at itkmoonnight at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook with a Facebook page and group, and on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Discord, Get Vocal, as well as on our website, intothenight.libson.com. You can also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash itkmoonnight. Please consider checking out the bonus incentives and any contribution will help us expand the show. A big thanks to sponsors Hello Headphones, empowering gamers to play their best. Use the code itkmoonnight and get 10% off their online store. Also, a big thanks to Dreamland Comics. Use their code MOON and get a big 20% off their online store. We're also an affiliate member to Entertainment Earth. Please use the links to purchase any of your toy action figure needs, and each purchase helps support the show. We're a big part of The Collective, a band of a few like-minded podcasters, and please check out the links in our show notes for access to all their shows. Alternatively, you can type in hashtag TheCollectiveNet on Twitter to see all the shows and all their tweets. Finally, if you'd like to review our show, please do so on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. This will help us get out there just a little bit more and any loonies who don't know the show will be able to tune in. As always, take care and may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Material used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. 
The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners. Any reproduction of any properties of Marvel is solely for entertainment use only. 